The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Welcome back. This is part two of our Tradecraft analysis of 2008's Get Smart Movie. As usual, for our spy comedy episodes, we have a friend of the show, Yammering Lou, on board to keep things interesting. If you missed out on part one, there's a simple solution. You might want to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so you can always stay caught up with us. Dave, there is so little tradecraft in spy comedies. If we did our usual shtick, we would end up with, I think, a very short show. I do love that we have Yammer and the Lou around to help us kind of flesh these kinds of episodes out. And the other voice we have returning with us this week, of course, is my longtime friend, Lon Lovett. And let's get back into it. Okay. I didn't like the I I mean I get that it's a comedy blah blah but I you know I gotta I gotta do my due diligence it's minus five points for implying that Max is monitoring everything from the Russians to the North Koreans to the Arabs and probably a bunch of other stuff in reality an analyst has a focus you know something that he's targeted on we talked a little bit about the chaos assassin uh here's my worst tradecraft of the film myself is i'm going with uh like uh terry cruz and the rock and this chaos assassin guy like they would make terrible secret agents like because (laughs) you can see them a mile the fucking way away uh i even listened to a recent interview with a kgb illegal uh who said that you know even at the end of his training like the final discussion on whether or not to send him to America was that his handlers thought like he might be a little bit too tall, like just like an inch or two too tall. And uh, from that interview, they talked about, or at least these guys said that uh, short people make better spies because they attract less notice. Yeah. So, that makes a lot of sense. Just that's why you can't have a giant assassin on an airplane <laughs> chasing two top spies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what about you guys, uh, uh, Lon and Lewis? Uh, can you can you flag any uh, any 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 bad tradecraft? Like just, I mean, yeah, it's 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 hard because you have to. You have to allow for the film to be what the film wants to be, but no, I already, I already flagged my bad tradecraft. I agree with fucking Dave. That was the worst tradecraft in the movie. It was, it was off-putting. <laughs> that they, the, the lengths to which they took that joke, off-putting. <laughs> well, about it. Before that, though, with uh, ninety-nine and Max uh, practicing being a married couple, I think was pretty good. You know, plus plus spy points on that tradecraft. Oh yeah. Their oh, story, yeah. getting their uh, cover story together, that because uh, that just happened right before that that scene. So, yeah, it was a n- nice nice playoff. And then they like started taking it seriously. Like, do you want to have kids? And then it became like a real marriage argument. I think I think I think that was really well played out. The humor the humor of the moment is that they're falling accidentally into the you know the illusion that they're actually a married couple, but I agree. And that's my number one best tradecraft because if, you know, if you take the strip, the humor out of it, uh, you know, going over the details in that way and practicing, you know, like bitching at each other about, you know, bullshit, uh, makes, makes, would make their cover much stronger. That's my best. Yeah. 
That's definitely a good one. Yeah, I thought that was really cute, the way that they did that. I thought that that was really cute, and the way he fucking rips on her, and the way they come up with that story. That was that was a very good add to the movie, very good add to the movie. Right. It's kind of like you know, like if you see a you know, if you're an enemy agent and you just see a you know supposedly married couple and they're just being quiet, uh, you know, you might I don't know, you might think something, but if they're kind of like making a scene. And like right? bickering at each other like a bunch, like it just feels so much more natural and and would kind of take them off your radar, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lewis, where are you, man? Are you getting so high you're fucking falling asleep on us? <laughs> I'm so high that I'm out in space looking at the Earth, and but I've gone back in time, so I'm watching the Earth film the actual Get Smart movie. You're too high, man. That's too. That's over high. Uh, Still not high I, enough to laugh at this movie, though. Come back to us, Lewis. Come back to us, Lewis. What do you got to say? What's b- bad tradecraft and good tradecraft? Come on, Lewis. I just fucking found out what tradecraft means. Come on. All I know is a bad trade policy, and as we know, you know, tariffs are not—they're not the answer. <laughs> global global trade has has reduced, you know extreme poverty by like 30% in the last 30 years. So it's, it's working, man. Just keep it up. Yeah. But that's trade policy. Yeah. <laughs> you're, talking, you're talking trade craft. Trade craft. What about the movie? What about the movie, The Craft, with, with that, the hot chick from the Party of Five? That's, that's the new one. About either. The new one was terrible, but yeah, the old one was pretty good. And we're talking about a bulk. It has Theresa Bulk in it. That's all Stay I know. Stay on topic. We're talking about trade craft of this movie. What do you think is good trade craft or bad trade craft? I don't. I'm, I'm I, I can. I can. I can jump in on on a comment Lewis made earlier, which was one of mine. Uh, I'll start with the fact that, like, when they land in in Moscow or not Moscow, they're not in Moscow yet. They're just in the Russian countryside. Um, it seemed completely random that they that Max detected the radioactivity on the one guy. Like, I, I didn't ever see that that was part of their plan. Maybe it was. I I don't think they ever told us why they're trying to land in this spot in the first place. And also, it seemed like where they where, where they landed when they landed was was unplanned. So it seems like just complete random script hand waviness that they landed in the right place for Max to happen to have his watch detect radioactivity on a guy, which puts him on the trail of the thing. The reason I bring this up is because Lewis previously mentioned that it was really weird that uh, the Rock got to go to the site where they're, you know, doing the yellow cake uranium stuff. And like, why didn't Max's watch pick up the radioactivity? Why, why did the movie wait until just the movie wanted it to suddenly show up that his watch would start ticking and saying that the rock is radioactive. It had plenty of opportunity to detect that previously. Like, like I said, how would he wipe that? How would they wipe that? I mean, reality, how would they wipe the whole site down and nobody, like, he, The Rock was the only one that goes there? Or, or I guess you could say the bad guys cleaned it all up and they, maybe that would make sense then. I guess. But, 
But then how does the rock? Yeah, how does that? How do they explain that? It has to be like the rock and a bunch of people in on it, right? For that to for that to work in the plot, right? A bunch of people went there and like Geiger Clowns going off the rocks, like, no, you didn't see anything. They're like, okay, you're the rock. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was. But, I mean, it was kind of odd too that like you know the whole idea was that all the agents were compromised except for eighty six and ninety nine, which by the way. I want to uh, mention that too. Like David, one of David's pet peeves in spy movies is when we see our operatives just going out there and operating like without a, a team around them. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, like 86 and 99 are doing exactly that, but they've actually kind of done their work to kind of sort of justify that, even though it's a silly justification, but it does exist that they've established that none of the other agents can poke their heads out of control. Because right. they, because they, because they, she's had a face like change, right? She, yeah, that's exactly. why she's the only actual agent that can still be a. Right. And they, when the other ones, the other ones were survived because they just, they knew to stay in the base, right? Like the rock knew knew he couldn't go out and Terry Crews, they all, they, cause so they, they were the only ones that survived, right? Cause they were there when they found out. So they, they did, right. Right. So my little there. bit of minus plot points is why in the aftermath of the bakery sequence, was it suddenly okay for the rock to visit the scene? It doesn't make any sense. Like you could take that to the out. Like, wasn't the Alan Arkin character. He's like, you know, just a regular meeting right out in like Washington DC, isn't he? Like if he's like supposedly like been like, compromised wouldn't he not be able to do that because like they're all compromised they can't go out because they'll just get killed right but yeah he's just going to a meeting right isn't there isn't there you go lewis there you go you're analyzing tradecraft congratulations and i'm still high <laughs> that has been established <laughs> um i don't know where do you want to take this dave uh dude in the bathroom talks too much Radioactive guy. And then we get uh, the, that that would take me to the dance part. Where whereas I did like, you know, like she uh you know, she sees the opportunity to sidle up to uh the dude, right? That owns, owns the mansion and right. you know, she quickly like makes up this thing about like, oh yeah, don't worry about this guy, he's just an idiot and, and he plays along <laughs> with it well. You know they adapt to the situation, and that's uh, plus five points because that gives him the uh, freedom to kind of move around, and her the right. opportunity to uh, try to squeak some information out of Dancy guy. Right. Except then the... they end up having a dance battle, which is kind of weird because if he's supposed to be an idiot and is an amazing dancer, uh, and and they're having like an ego dance. Oh match. right. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, mean, I don't think blow his cover. That. Yeah, that's something yeah. that wouldn't. I think it's that's totally something that would not play. Cover. That's something that would play more poorly in 2021 because we're more sensitive, you know, about like especially like people that are extremely overweight. And also that that joke's been done before, so I don't think that would like that that you know the really fat person being like super athlete like that's maybe in 2008 it was it was still kind of like a novelty, but now I don't think now it would be like that's that's not it's just not clever or what. I want to talk about the fat jokes in this movie a little bit. Uh, you know, this uh, this little subplot of Max's character that he used to be overweight, you know, where he's running uh, around in sweats. 
didn't get any laughs from me and also just really felt like I felt like you know I don't know like when Mike Myers does it in Austin Powers I'm along for the ride but when I see Steve Carell do that it feels like wait a second this is like way below Steve what I expect from Steve Carell as a comedic actor right yeah, it doesn't work. Somehow it didn't work for that character. He's like a serious guy, and then he's like, oh, it didn't, like, that, that backstory didn't work really. Like you said, it's, it's almost like I wouldn't even remember the backstory anymore. I could forget that he was fat before because it had no impact on it. didn't like it. It didn't like the same thing as like the James Conn of, 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 of that. It had no value other than just zero, up. zero calories. In those, in those, Iron- ironically, those. the fat scenes had zero calories. Mm. <laughs> I wasn't even going for that. But how about how about you, Lon? You're a you're a big guy. What did you think of the um, fat jokes in this movie? I thought they were endearing. Okay, I did. I did. I bought them. I bought them. I didn't think it was out, out of line to use that that mechanism for humor. I bought into it. Okay. I thought it was cool. I mean, then, every fat guy in the world wishes he could be that fucking guy. So I weigh 300 plus pounds. So you're talking to a guy who, when I see that, I wish I could be that guy. Like, yeah. You know, that goes from 300 pounds to Uber spy in the world. Personally, right. that means a lot to me. The scene where he was fucking dancing with that fat chick was so fucking awesome you like that, that was such a great scene i thought that was funny as hell <laughs> i us, thought that was so funny tell us why go into it a bit well because he used to be fat and here he is with this fat chick who all the other chicks at the in the room were downing they were all like all the other chicks were thumbing their nose at her and he picks the fat chick to dance with and he dances all these fancy moves with her and everything and does all this shit with her that is obviously impossible to do. Like, But he does these impossible it's dances really funny. with her. It's really funny when, he, when they're doing the dip and you see the strain on his face. Yeah. But, yeah. But that's also because he's into it, because he wants to make this happen. He wants to pull it off. He's committed. Right. And like just knowing that he used to be a fat guy and he's given this fat chick a chance to dance like that. I thought that was endearing. I thought that was very sweet. I thought it was nice. Okay, but what about cool. that dude? What uh, that just reminds me, like that they were trying to build that up, guy up as like a secondary, like lower level bad character, but he dies like so easily that it almost negated anything that I thought was kind of cool about his being a villain was negated when he got killed in one and a half seconds. Like, like I thought that guy was a little cooler than that. That's all I mean. Like they could have had like a instead of the James Con stuff, take get that out of the movie. Get the fat stuff out of the movie and just have five minutes of him fighting that dude. That was because that was I thought that was a kind of a good character they were trying to build there, until he got killed, like I said, in one second by a shot by a shot. Yeah, but they had already they had already established like the the main villain by this point, so it wasn't like an Iron Man three situation. But I mean, it could have made like it could have made a little better, harder obstacle for him to overcome than just oh well, there he is, boom, and then <laughs> it's like there was. They didn't even battle at all. There was no even like yeah, there was nothing, right? He just gets killed instantly in the scene when the when they start fighting, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's true. I think I think the point of that part is to like demonstrate because uh 
86 and 99 have definitely been like, you know, quibbling at each other a lot up until that point, but uh, accomplishing his death and surviving that situation is the first part where they at least get a glimmer of the idea that they could successfully work together. Maybe. I liked the beads. Oh, the beads. If he he had planned that, it would have been great tradecraft. It worked out because it was a slapstick screwball humor of him dropping the beads and making all this noise like a terrible spy. But then it ends up playing off and like oh, the working. good. I don't know if it's called. I guess it's tradecraft because it's like combat. Like that. That actually would legitimately seem like a clever thing. The the fire hose. Even it's been done before, but I thought that was actually cool in the movie when he throws the fire hose and he just takes all the guys out. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> that has been done a few times. Yeah, but uh, no, that was kind of cool. Yeah. How about um, like what they get out of this sequence? is the information that the detonators were shipped to the bakery in Moscow. And the final thing they need to do to, to get that is um, it's a, there's a biometric scanner, a fingerprint scanner or something. And, and I was curious, I, I should have looked this up. I should have done my investigation, my usual Todd investigation, but uh, he just breathes heavily on it. And can what see the fingerprint or something? I wonder if that works. Uh, I would say probably not. It's probably just like a super over exaggerated joke or like parody of just how silly. Like, you know, I think you were talking about like when we did uh, Born Supremacy where the guy was planting fingerprints with tape. Yeah, we looked into that. Like, not sure how successful you could be at doing that uh, but breathing on it and then taking the fingerprint off i mean if it's, sure. if it's, does this count it, as a crossover todd if i can think of a movie that 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 um the the boring supremacy guy was in that steve carell was in and they refer to him yes because in the 40 year old virgin right. there's this there's born supremacies on and then and then paul rudd goes i used to think think uh matt dame was a real streisand but he is kicking ass in this movie and then steve carell's like <laughs> shut up whatever his name, the other guy's name is. So I'd always remember right. that. Okay. Not exactly, they're not exactly your guys kind of crossover, but that's like my, my crazy mind crossover. That's why, that's why we bring you on these episodes, Lewis, is for these deep insights. And because I'm well, high, Lewis I just want to make sure people, are, people know that I'm high. I want them, that's important. The one thing I want people to remember that I'm high. I think I've made well, that clear. Lewis, Lewis, you were the one that suggested we start the Spies Like Us podcast cinematic universe. But it, it, it oh yeah, the, oh, oh yeah, like uh, oh yeah, and so I was like the the, so gonna... yammering Lou is like a, some like third tier Avenger or something or yeah, we gotta we gotta pull you in, you know, for those moments to get ready for like the big you know crossover film when when we have an ambitious crossover podcast episode. And there's like and every episode is actually coded. Every episode of this is coding for the another podcast you guys do, and it makes all sense after you hear the third podcast, which that podcast refers to. Right. Actually, I think this is your sense. third time on the show. Yeah, right. Is it, all, it might be you more than sp- three. Can you do Spy Kids and The Man Who Knew Too Little? Oh, I, I think oh, I did Spies Like Us. Without Lewis. Oh, that's right. Oh, no, but you did Spies Like Us. I did yeah. Spies Like Us, and I did and I, then, I did the Spy Kids. Right. Yeah, I think this might be the trilogy. Oh, yeah. Speaking of, of repeat guests... 
uh yeah yeah and you're our secret weapon when when we have to do these movies where there's so little tradecraft to talk about yeah <laughs> gotta, gotta bring you when in you to... need some when you need some filler yeah i'm i'm the i'm the spam of podcasting a can of spam <laughs> bring it yep it's good spam is good as long as you coat it with you know you it's just filled, but as long as the outside, you got a good bun and some burger, it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's they love out. spam, and they love spam in Hawaii for some reason, right? Isn't it like a huge like they love? I don't. Is that well, true? because of the logistics of getting food over there, spam was really good because of its uh, preservative. Like, it oh, it's a, well. is that is that why? Is that why? It that was so- would be my best guess, um, because I'm sure prior to it being acquired by the U.S. Um, it's still a I'm, popular. I'm sure they didn't have spam there. I think it's yeah, still right. a popular like. I, and the, and I, I always wonder. Well, absolutely. Like, do you think the fact that the email is called spam did that that had to help spam sales? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Even though it's it a hurt. negative thing, there's no you know there's no bad publicity. No so bad I, I think it helps publicity. spam. I'm sure. I'm sure it helped a lot. Uh, my <laughs> I've got a little uh, spam anecdote. This was a long time ago, but just one time while I was uh, grocery shopping. Uh, I encountered like a World War II veteran that was like just flipping out over the price of spam because oh really because in his experience like spam was like just the worst it was the worst lowest food tier imaginable it was like it reminded him of like his World War II days where they gave him spam instead of real food. And he was like flipping out over like I forget how much it, this was a long time ago. This is like twenty years ago, so I don't I don't even know what how much spam costs right now, like a little tin. But uh, he was just freaking out over the fact like people are paying three fucking dollars for this shit, <laughs> right? Yeah, he was he was in, he was having his own little uh, gastronomic p- version of PTSD. Uh, I didn't, I didn't like the fact, you know, they, they do a little bit of a, you know, oh, you don't have that gadget. Oh, you don't have that gadget. Like, like, seriously, both of them should be completely briefed on what gadgets each other has. Like, yeah, that's true. If you're from the same organization. Yeah. If they're trying to take this seriously, like it should be planned out. That's a really good point. I think so. I think that's some good minus spy points. Yeah. I mean, I think they work. Like I said, I'm not. I'm still not a big fan of the. But I think the, I think the two characters in their own bad way work well together in doing the bad humor. So, so I thought. I thought. I thought that there was a scene, and in my mind, I remember they were standing on a bridge of some sort, and there there was a joke, and I remember thinking to myself when I watched it, this is a perfect example of the fact that they know the audience doesn't like this joke. But that they're doing the joke, but that they're acknowledging to the audience that the joke is bad and that they're making it a funny joke based on the fact that they kind of acknowledge that it wasn't a funny joke. Well, I remember them standing on a bridge just as they have landed in Moscow. They've gone to Moscow and they're going to send Max into the Russian bakery. Um, But what I remember was that was kind of a serious scene where she was like, listen, you can't trust anyone. Like anyone could be a double agent, even me. And she's kind of like warning Max that like you need to you need to start putting your eyes on. 
and and not being so naive. I think they were talking about love, though. It was a metaphor. Okay. <laughs> it probably, probably had a little double play there, a little double agent. Because they 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 don't really totally make it up, but don't you, aren't they supposedly there? There's something between them, but they don't really explicitly say that they're going out at the end, though, do they? But well, how did you how did you, how did we feel about let's let's roundtable the chemistry between uh, Carell and Hathaway? Let's start with you, Lewis. No, I thought, like I said, one, like I said, I don't think most of the movie was funny, but like they're, but the, by the end, it's likable. So I think that's something must be a good, like I said, it's the good between them. Even maybe like I don't like the script. I think the fact that I, I kind of it grew on me is probably a testament to that they're working well together. Like like they're likable, like they're likable characters, even if I don't like a lot of the jokes. <laughs> The belt buckle. Sounds like Lon found the joke. <laughs> the belt buckle. He's, he says, she says, Max, they have this the, the belt buckle. He says, what what about the belt buckle? She says, oh, right. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're yeah. right. You're she right. Says, no, that was a good one. There's a pill in there. There's a pill in there. You take it when you're in trouble. And he and he says, how do, and he says, straight face. He says, how do we get them to take it? Yeah. Oh, yep. yeah. That, that's true. That, that's good. <laughs> that was I like a that. good one. Yep. You're right. The cyanide. Yeah. Yeah. That was the scene I was talking about. Good like, one. Like it's just it's just tweaked enough that you can laugh at the joke. Like I think. Right. <laughs> like, whatever. I'm getting anal now because I'm re- I'm remembering all these jokes I thought were so funny two months ago, but I'm pissed that I can't remember them now. Um. We were talking. We were talking. You know, while we're at it about uh, the chemistry between Carell and Hathaway, let's go back to you, Lon. Uh, Great chemistry. I thought it was too. Great chemistry. I thought that that made the movie. That made the movie. They kept it afloat, at least. Yeah. yeah absolutely. David. Absolutely. Uh, I thought it was really cute. Um, how the bickering, like the pretend, like when they were practicing being a married couple, because I mean, you know, it's going to happen, you know, in, in a movie like this, you already know the story, right? From the get go, right? And uh, they're going to hate each other. And then they're going to be like together at the end. Right. Um, so I, I thought it was kind of fun, especially with the gags going on that you could see each little moment. I think there was enough of the little moments where you could believe that, they would grow on each other. Um, I think like the big moment uh, where like it finally kind of happened was a little much, but whatever, like you already expect it to happen, but I think there was enough little tiny moments going through the story that made it believable. And like Lewis was saying that like by the end of the movie, they kind of grow on you. So I, I, I thought it was cute. I enjoyed it. I will say, I will say, first of all, I thought like perfect casting. I mean, you know, Carell as, as Maxwell Smart is ingenious. Hathaway, I'd never seen in a comedy before, uh, but she definitely uh, is on her toes in this one. I actually don't remember the, the romance and the connection between the two of them, but that's probably a good thing. Uh, or at least uh, it's it's a better than neutral thing coming from me because, again, like you're saying, Dave, uh, like when 
when you know a male and a female character just kind of get mashed together for no fucking reasons at all like it really <laughs> hits my red lights and right. so just just the fact that i don't remember them getting together is probably a, a good thing right <laughs> um you know i i think it's a good time to mention too you know and and we've all mentioned our appreciation for arkin um arkin Carell, and hathaway were all totally on board to do a sequel to this movie so even if you know the the movie got like mixed reception you know it's definitely got some mixed reception amongst our group i think it got mixed reception out there in the world as well but these three very good actors they all looked at their work in this movie and said like like they were proud of it you know they didn't uh like the fact that they were you know what i'm saying the fact they were eager to do a sequel says mm. that they didn't look at this movie and say like oh god <laughs> well i think they they all did a good job i i think the weaknesses might have been um you know just with the script or you know the production itself but i think all of the actors in the film did a great job. They, they, they played their characters really, really well. Um, and it's like, I was like, you'd, you'd mentioned like Anne Hathaway, you'd never really seen her in a comedy. I was really impressed. Like, cause I, I don't think I have either. I mean, I'm sure she has been somewhere, but I, I don't remember her ever being a comedic actress or being in a comedy, you know, so seeing her play in such a ridiculous comedy. She's in the, role, isn't she in one of those like bride war movies with with uh where where she's doing a lot of ridiculous? I don't. I only saw a little bit of it. She's in one of those like with with where like where she's it's like kind of comedy where it's like like bride wars or something like that or some movie like with um Goldie Hawn's daughter. Oh, I forget what her name is, but yeah. So she she's been in comedies. I'm pretty sure other than this. Right, but I mean, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm sure she has been, but uh, I don't really remember or have seen or even think of it. And so watching her in this kind of comedy, you know, like you'd probably expect her to be like in a rom-com, you know, maybe, right? Like if you asked me like if Anne Hathaway was in a comedy, I'd be like, well, I'm sure she was in a rom-com at some point. She was sort of like, if you think about it, she was a little bit like her Catwoman character in The Last Batman, but, you know, tweaked a little bit. But that same kind of... Like right. spirit and kind of humor and kind of like yeah whatever but even with Batman she's like yeah why are you like saving these people like she had that I think that's the same same kind of you know cynical thing that she took in this role that it, it works though I think yeah holy shit I'm looking at her IMDb right now and um, except for the Princess Diaries uh, and Brokeback Mountain she doesn't appear in anything that I've ever heard of uh before she shows up in uh the devil wears prada that's 2006 which is just two oh, yeah years. she's great she's great in that movie so is Meryl right. Street, which is of just course. two years before this movie so maybe like because i don't think i had ever heard of her before devil wears prada i guess maybe that that was her breakout unless i mean i think, well, I think the princess bride the princess was her diary, like, bride breakout diaries, that was like different diaries or whatever yeah yeah, her, but yeah, like a different audience. Well, that's kind of a comedy-ish, right? Yeah, I, I guess, guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I totally yeah. forgot she was in that. She's had such like stellar roles since then. I like completely forgot she was in that movie. Yeah, like, she's in the it, sequel as well. 
she got either she won an Academy Award or she got nominated for Academy Award recently. I don't remember what movie it was, but like within the last couple of years, I think. Well, she was in the remake of Witches recently, which I really oh. enjoyed. Oh, yeah. Did I you like she that did one? a great job. But then she had to apologize because uh, I forgot what it was, but people were upset that um, the accent she was using and the fact that she had claws uh, was like kind of demeaning. So she like publicly apologized for that but yeah uh, i think it was the hand thing and i think it's the sort of thing that like my god like five years ago like we did not even worry about this kind of shit and now it's right it's like (laughs) fucking everything that shit's getting out of control the 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 uh out uh you know i'm the i'm offended i'm outraged thing is just uh, it's becoming highly concerning to me these days yeah it's getting out of control there's someone there's always someone that'll be offended and then like the way it gets magnified especially when most of the time the people getting offended are not the people like it's like people getting offended because they this one was whatever i don't know what the but i'm saying the people that are making the biggest noise about it aren't even the people that are that we're being talking right. about they're doing You're they're right. getting offended they're on just behalf out, of those people they're just out there trying to claim credit for i spotted this first like those the actual people that they're <laughs> supposedly defending probably don't even care or they're, or they're not offended by that but somebody decided they should be offended by that so i'm gonna get upset about it like right <laughs> well the worst the worst aspect of that not to derail too hard but it's just it's just an issue that's very close to my heart right now the worst aspect of that is where like a tweet goes out to maybe like 500 people and then one person gets offended, uh, you know, finds something offensive about that and then decides that that's an excuse to tweet it to 18 million people, which compounds the problem, doesn't solve right. the problem. If you were honestly offended, like you should have sent a private message to the person instead of broadcasting it and making the whole situation worse. No, but what I was, I'm starting to read a book about, about political correctness. And it talks about one of the things that it, that functions on is like every, every person has it to lesser or more degree, the desire to feel better than somebody else. And so this cancel culture, Mm -hmm. Twitter, like shaming people, it, it helps for those people. That's their, like they get to feel better. The old look at you, you said like, so it, that's at play too. There's that, there's the aspect of, wanting to feel better and you get that you get that but in a socially acceptable way because normally we frown on that like you're not supposed to go like well i'm better than you but it's okay to say i'm better than you because you're like a whatever you are your race is this or that whatever is insensitive then you can feel good about being better than him without feeling guilty that, that's what that lady what the woman was saying yeah. was part of yeah. the dynamic i i agree and the technology is totally enabling it we are going to tie the knot on that uh right now Let's take us to the end of the movie, which I would, you know, I would say act three begins where 23 uh, being the rock is following up. Uh, I think we gave him or we're giving him plus five points for lying about what he finds at the bakery. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think it was a good cover. Um, I'm not sure how everybody was super suspicious of Max. Well, Here's what I like and don't like about the Agent 23 thing. Number one, I like that the mole turns out to be the guy that everybody loves. He's just the guy that makes everybody happy and feel good about themselves. 
And I feel except, like except the guy he staples to head. That guy doesn't feel good about himself. Well, that's yeah, that's true. That's true. But he's built a he's kind of like a dick to the dicks. Like he, he like shuts down the bullies and then makes friends with like everybody else. And the bullies respect him because he kind of puts them down, you know? And and he kind of has like this like uh likable personality. And I would think that someone that was a real uh, you know, operations officer or something that's like in the field would be like really personable and very likable. So I liked that, but he's so overly likable when the big mole reveal goes, I was like, Oh, well, yeah. So I really, I, I want to give this like mad spy points for him being super likable to the point where they'll trust him over max. When he says there's no nuclear things in this building whatsoever. You know, but I kind of want to give some minus five points to be like, well, wait, he was the only one that said that Max is saying that he saw it by himself, you know, uh, so it was kind of like a, I mean, for a film like this, it's fine. You know, it, it, I, I don't think anybody. No, you're, good. Watching, you're, good. Yeah. you're good. Yeah, it's definitely... it, felt, it felt kind of forced to me. It felt forced. The idea that they're doubting him It's kind of like afterthought, like, well, we better write it in that they're doubting him. So we have to. Why are they doubting him? So that it just felt kind of forced to me. The whole that whole uh, them really, doubting him. I really thought that whole thing was totally unnecessary. Um, right. Yeah. And then once once they do get him in, like, uh, I don't know. He's not in jail. He's in a containment room back at control. Uh, someone sends him a secret message via radio, via like what? Like I, I like that because it was it was Kiss FM and it was Rick D. That I actually liked. I didn't quite understand how it how they got that in there, but I thought it was cool. <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind that you liked it, but I gotta give it minus spy points because. Like you would know, you would have no reason to think that he was listening at that time, or even that he had a radio, which he shouldn't even have a radio. Oh, at like an intelligence like cell, yeah, <laughs> where there's probably zero communications whatsoever. Right. Well, no, I mean, there's that there's that story of the two. Uh, it used to be on the CIA YouTube channel, but it, they they replaced it with all their newer stuff. You can still find it if you dig really hard. But there was a story about these two agents that were captured in China and and they were like, in, I don't know, what, seven years or something. And and it, and it was a really cool story going over like how they kept their cool and stayed in it. But one of the things they were allowed to do was watch like Chinese television. Um, and so I would believe that an intelligence cell would have some form of communications where the, the Chinese television they watched was like highly propaganda. You know, so I presume someone in a cell would be allowed to have some form of communicate, like something to listen to or read or whatever. Uh, but you're right, Todd. I think it's not really that believable that a code would go out on Rick D's like that. He gets out of his cell uh, with some, you know, some bullshit. Uh, honestly, like, you know, those keypads wouldn't have those tones. And or they wouldn't have keypads. Like it'd probably be a card. Yeah, yeah you're there's right. no, there's no way he could like accurately like you know bend that antenna and hit. The but right it, but I did like that. Was I always like when a person's you got to love a person's plan to escape is to get the shit beaten out of them first. You got to <laughs> like that. That's, that's... True. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> that, that was great. Yeah, uh, but this does lead into my favorite tradecraft of the film, um, 
when he's running out, the the two uh, analysts that he was buddies with, uh, we didn't really talk about them, but um, they they come and pretend with to have a gun on him, and and he's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "No, don't worry. We're we're we're, we're we want to help you escape, but we got to look good for the cameras." Oh yeah, it's and so they terrible. Have... They do such yeah. a terrible job of it. Yeah. <laughs> We get some slapstick humor, but I thought it was cool that they like put on the front for the camera, so the security cameras would see them trying to stop him. At least they tried. Then, yeah. Plus, it's good. Yeah. You already think those guys are the weasliest cowards, and they made them look even more weasley and cowardly than you would expect, which is right. something. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, no, it's it's Dave. You're totally right, and that goes to my point about like, you know, like because the law of comedy that's in place dictates that everything even if it's smart must fail right humorously <laughs> they were at least trying for the right thing so so i agree with you on uh, plus five points for that um i really okay so you know again not a super fan of the show but i am appreciative of how much love the writers of the show want to of this movie want to show for the show and so the way that they you know like the the whole museum thing was kind of weird but at this point where he like you know gets his his car that you know his his uh very um, what's the word iconic car that he had from the series is is really cool and there's a there's the moment where he like drives it out of the front doors of the museum i don't know if you caught this but when he when they do that uh stunt of driving the car out of the front doors of the museum like it is incredibly obvious that it's a dummy in the car <laughs> Did you catch that yeah, I didn't catch <laughs> that was that. pretty cute. <laughs> okay, well, in the in the TV episodes that I saw, they used dummies a lot for like humorous <laughs> purposes, and I really right. think this was like another of these little like little nods. Like, like they would have hey. fights, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they sometimes have a fight scene where somebody just throwing a dummy at <laughs> yeah. the right? Yeah, <laughs> or, or throwing a dummy off a roof or something. And in the TV show, it's it's extremely obvious. And, you know, just in modern movies in 2008, like, I think if this wasn't a Get Smart movie, like, they would have looked at that scene and said, like, oh, wait, no, you can tell it's a dummy. We have to go reshoot this. <laughs> but I, I, think, I think it was fully intentional. Absolutely. I, I, I really do. I like when he punches him and he goes, he goes, no, you moved the wrong way. He punches him and he, he, he kicks the, like his face goes the wrong way. It doesn't even match the punch, the fake punch. Right. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> and the other guy just passed out before they could even get to the fake punch. Yeah. Uh, I got minus spy points coming up for the scene on the rooftop where max is kind of laying out his his theory that uh the rock agent 23 is the actual traitor and the rock's got his gun like you know pointed at max's head i think i think that the right play there is to pull the trigger 
Like shut him oh, up yeah. right now. I think I think he can cover his tracks. I think the way the what the movie is laid out for us so far is enough that um yeah. Uh that's that's my call. Uh you guys, what do you think? I'm not sure uh, I remember, I, remember the exact scene, but I I I think if he had pulled the trigger, there would have been a big investigation and he probably would have been put on leave and it probably would have caught him up at some point, but I think you're right. It was a little too much. You know, it's kind of like in, you know, like I always bring up the werewolf game uh, in a lot of our spy films that we talk about. And um, uh, what what werewolves will do if some suspicions coming on to one of them is they'll eat them that night so that they can't talk anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think you're right. It might have been the best move. Uh, because he was a little too close to the trail. He's uh, getting but, very close to the trail, yeah. Right, but it, it, it would have been a little hard uh, to kind of explain that in an investigation. Like, did you feel your life was threatened? Did you th- feel someone else's life was threatened? You know, it, it, it more would have pointed like, no, you thought your cover was blown. But no, it's a good point that it, it, it probably would have been the... Well, like... Even if he couldn't cover it, pulling that trigger and then running and then completing the objective, right? Because Max is the one right. standing away yeah, the objective. I, I agree with that. Yeah, there's that. There's always that. Well, he's doing a werewolf thing where he's he's trying to say, like, he's trying to, you know, I mean, they're keyed in on the Disney Hall target. And he's doing his good werewolf tradecraft where he's trying, you know, he keeps trying to mention, like, there's other targets we should be after. Right, like that are more important than this, but he also seems really committed to like be here at the bomb site, which is about to get nuked. Like he's gonna die. Yeah, and right? <laughs> yeah, that, that that like that also seemed kind of off. You know, when they're the bad guys driving away with the really big dude we're talking about, and he's like, "If this doesn't work," and like, and he's like, "Yeah, it didn't work. Yeah, it didn't work, you jackass." You see a mushroom cloud, but they're still like a two blocks away from the. <laughs> from yeah, the they're Disney, definitely you know, what they're saying like so if it they wouldn't they just be dead it wouldn't be like hey it didn't work like no we'd just be vaporized right. right so so who is 23 what is his actual motivation like what does he care about we don't get i don't think any of that like he's just he just is a sketched in cartoon villain yeah right pretty much Absolutely. Because if if the plan goes off the way he's angling it, like he's gonna die. And I do like I how think, they said yellow cake, and they made it was actually a cake fact. That I did that like was, that. That was a little bit funny. Yeah, that there's actually yeah, yeah yellow cake. But uh, back to twenty three. Um, you know, he's a he's a cipher. Like if you're gonna have a guy that's so dedicated to accomplishing his mission that he's willing to die in a nuclear explosion. Uh, I think that the audience deserves to at least like get a little bit of nod of like what was motivating him. This is how deep you're going, Todd. Your cipher is something talked about in a Yammering Lou episode, so you're referring to pr- another podcast back in time. That's how these referrals are going. That's how that's how deep the show is. It's crazy good. Uh, crazy. We're that, always opening up the web of connections. Because I, I argue with world. Gavin back in this show that that cipher was right. That actually you're better off just being in the matrix because the actual world was just a bunch of people living in caves. That, that, that kind of sucked. If you ask me. 
So I, I thought <laughs> I was that cipher was right. Just give me. Okay, the, wait, I a know it. wait a second. Wait a second. Hold on. I'm gonna. I I, I want to hear this. I have no fucking idea what you're talking about, Lewis. What are oh, you? I'm talking. About, I'm talking about an actual yammering Lou episode where uh-huh. where there's like exchange between me and Gavin, and it starts out by me saying I think Cipher was right. Like I wouldn't Cypher. like they gave a choice for people at the end. I would choose to go in the Matrix. What was the world at that time? It was just a bunch of people living in caves with no tech. That that's like you're we're free, but me. like we're living in these stupid caves and there's no technology. It's like the end of the world. I'd rather just be eating that steak like Cypher. Okay, you said. are talking about the Matrix movies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what was not clear. Oh, that's even more awesome. So I've been talking about two minutes, and you guys had no idea what I was talking about. I, I've I've come I've come around. I've come around. When you said eating the steak, now I understand what you mean. You just started talking about people living in caves and cipher. And well, because because you, you said oh, see, I'm, when you hear cipher, you're not. You're, I'm thinking you're talking about the character cipher, but you're using the word cipher, right? Yeah, I'm using the word cipher. See, I'm thinking. See, my mind just immediately think, "Oh, you mean cipher from the Matrix?" That's that's and that would that seemed to make perfect sense to me. What else would you be using it for? But but cipher from the Matrix because they're they both cipher I mean, they're, like code. No, yeah, but cipher because they were both traitors. You know, they were both like you know double whatever double. That's that's why it made sense to me. <laughs> Agents, please report for debriefing on this operation. The director will see you now. We're going to start with Lon. Rate this movie. Uh, zero to five. You can you can do half stars if you want. Rate this movie? Yeah. How much how much do you like this movie? I'll give it I'll give it a three and a half. And why? Three and a half. All right, Lewis. I can name that tune and three stars. <laughs> wow, three sounds pretty no, high. But actually, I, actually, I want to say two, actually, I want to say two two and a half stars. But that that joke was better with three stars. Two and a half, two <laughs> and a half sounds more like what you've been talking about. Because uh, there's no you can't you can't have you can't name that tune in two and a half notes. See, see, that's why. See, I, I know what I'm doing here, even though I'm high. <laughs> high. There's levels of the game, David. Uh, I'm probably gonna go with the three mainly because how much I was impressed by the acting, um, and it was fun watching. But I don't think I'd like if it was on. I probably would be okay watching it again. But I don't think I'd be like you have to see this movie, right? Uh, but I was really, really impressed with the acting, so I, I'm gonna give it a three. I feel like any given ten minutes of this movie is totally worth watching and fucking really funny and fun the movie as a whole not so much i'm going with uh i'm joining lou at a 2.5 even though i think that there are definitely elements of this movie including the performances uh you know i think Carell, hathaway and arkin all absolutely show up uh that are that are three and maybe approaching 3.5 but at the end of the day, looking at the whole thing as a whole, uh, let me double check. I just want to double Can check. Can I give James Conn zero stars? Let me see. <laughs> that just zero sucks. Stars, What's he doing? He's James Conn, man. The guy was in The Godfather. You want he was in The Godfather. What's he doing back. in this movie? What yeah. happened to James Caan? What what the what the fuck is going on, man? Yeah. You're in the Godfather. Previous ratings and and uh, two point five is where I'm gonna land, uh, for sure. 
Because you're uh, James Con. You're a cool guy, man. You're James Con. Yeah. He, what well, the fuck, man? What the fuck's going on? You know, it's possible, like, because remember he was a guest star in the original TV series? It's possible that that was, like, one of his very first roles. Like, one of his very first chances to show himself as an actor. But who signed off on it? The agent's like, you're going to play, like, a very lame version of George Bush in this movie. Well, he probably wanted it. I understand. I understand. But, like, think about Tron, right? This This is always my classic example. Like, I super, super, super respect Jeff Bridges for showing up to do the Tron remake because it's absolutely a movie that is a hundred percent below his pay grade and that he should never be asked to fucking tolerate. But you know, the original Tron is a movie that put Jeff Bridges on the map really started his career up. And so if you just, it's kind of like, like anytime I go to subway, like, cause my very first job was as a sandwich maker at Togo's. Like I always tip like one or $2, even if I'm buying like a $3 sandwich, uh, just because I'm just giving respect to the people that are doing. So the was this the movie that's... that was this the movie that ended James Conn career? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying though, right? Yeah. I know. I know what you're saying. I think uh, it's possible James Conn just agreed. Well, also, there's the... the he cost- probably wanted to do it, is what I'm saying. I mean, yeah, it's right? probably like you get to play the president, and then then by the time he saw what the lines were, he's like, oh, fuck. But also, that like, I'm James Conn. I can pull this off, but no, you cannot. Not this time. <laughs> also, there's the concept of, like, the working actor. Like, uh, I think the, the, the big name there is, like, Samuel L. Jackson is famous for never saying no. If you ask Sam Jackson to be in your movie, he always says yes. He, he was in Coming to America. No. I don't. I think a lot of people realize he was in Coming to America because yeah, just he was the scene. first one. Yeah, he's yeah. a good. It's a good scene. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. he's famous for not being a pick and choose because he remembers his hungry years, and no matter how big a name he ever gets. He always wants to be the guy that will always say yes. He'll always be the guy that says, get these motherfucking snakes off the motherfucking plane. Let's get a park bench rating and wrap this up. Uh, David, what are we thinking? Uh, We put Spies Like Us at a one. I I think a one sounds good to me. A man who knew too little, a one. Yeah. I'm I'm feeling a one on this. I want to argue for a 1.5. I want to give it a little bit of a bump above the other comedies because I don't think any of those movies made any attempt to be a spy movie. Whereas this one, this movie is not, doesn't have bad tradecraft because it doesn't know what it's doing. It has bad (laughs) tradecraft because it does know what it's doing. Right, like you, you see, you see what I'm saying. Like it's at least no, no. Like there's a there's a lot of moments where they made legit. I mean, like even with the big people hurt too, he flips him. You know, the pretending on the camera, the the playing out being married scene. Um, no, I, I see where you're going with this. Um, so you want to put this above the spy who loved me? I, I'm okay with that. 
I'm, I'm definitely okay with that. And we're going to put this under La Femme Nikita. 1.5 sounds good. All right, let's call it. Lewis, thanks for showing up for this, buddy. And thanks, James Con. I think I mean I gotta give I don't I gotta give James Con the credit for the, the my best jokes were James Con related. So I think he in the end told me to fuck off and he got the last laugh on me. <laughs> so good on you, James Con. You 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 showed me what 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 I, I'm not cool. I'm not cool like James Con. So who's who's laughing now? I'm not James Con. I'm still not going to oh. be James Con when this podcast ends. Right. So I think the joke's on me. Yeah. I'm sorry, James Con. That's a wrap. Jam, Jamba. Yeah. Oh, wait, right, right. It can't be a wrap unless we hear Jamba. Yeah, we need the Jamba. Give us a good Jamba. James fucking Con. Why? Con! <laughs> Con! <laughs> that's, that's a wrap. And that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at spies underscore like us. Visit us on our website at www.spieslikeus.net. You can find out about upcoming episodes. Also, what will really help us out is if you give us a review on wherever you found our podcast, either on iTunes or your Android app or YouTube or wherever you listen to us. Uh, even if you didn't like the show, just give us a review. It'll help us give us feedback so we can make the show better. And it can also help other people who haven't found the show yet find out about us. Hey, Moira, initiate Protocol 9. Protocol 9 initiated. This podcast will self-destruct in 20 seconds. The preceding transmission sample the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler.